0: Well, good morning. First, I want to tell you guys that over 100 of us just came from an amazing weekend of The Heart That Renews Relationships, and that is a result of the speaker that we have for you this morning. Tina, over the last 25 years, has facilitated hundreds and hundreds of seminars for youth, adults, couples, and families. I mean, she's a sought-after speaker in many men's and women's groups, conferences, churches, and also for businesses across the U.S., Canada, and even in Europe. As I've told you before, Tina is a well-recognized speaker on radio and television, and most recently she was featured on Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, The Real Housewives of Orange County, and The Today Show. So this morning we get to hear what she has in store for us and what God may have in store for us, so can you guys just help me welcome author, speaker, and relational coach Tina Konkin. Man, that person sounds good. If only you lived at my house. (laughs) I love when they say I was featured on Gene Simmons and OC Housewives because I don't watch the show. But I go after hearts that are hurting and relationships that are in trouble. And I've stayed very well connected with both couples I worked with, the one on... OC Housewives, which is Shannon Bedore, and they've accepted Christ since then and now attend their date night as church every Saturday night at Mariner's Church. So, um, you know, you go into a dark world and you make a difference. So I never refuse an opportunity. Gene, well, he's a rabbi, really. He's studied to be a rabbi, devout Jew, and um, he just has a little problem with Jesus. So I just talk about Jesus a lot, and he lets me. He said, I'm a great salesperson. First, I heal his relationship, and then I talk about Jesus. But, you know, I want to brag on my family a little bit. And so I'm just going to show you my family portrait and just introduce my family to you. Not only because I think they're the most beautiful family in the world, because they are, um, in my eyes. But because that family portrait, had we not made some decisions early on at about year 14, wouldn't look like that at year 32 of marriage. There's a lot of people on that portrait that wouldn't have been there hadn't we made some decisions that we now teach. We teach about the R3 of great relationships. We wrote a book on it. We've done some DVDs on it. And we do 40-hour programs on it. The R3 of great relationships is really about the reveal, the rewrite, and the renew. And over a hundred of us, like Pastor said, spent the weekend here, uh, started Wednesday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning doing a little bit of that, trying to squeeze in what we do in 40 hours and just a few short hours. And some of you have signed up to come and do the full intensive. There's something about the heart that Jesus talked about that would have caused that family portrait to not look like that. He talked about the hardness of the heart and he answered the Pharisees and he said, yes, divorce is allowed and yes, it was in the law of Moses and yes, there's reasons why people get divorced and he said, but it's because of the hardness of the heart. Now, the hardness of the heart doesn't appear in marriage and then you divorce. The hardness of the heart really starts way back from when you were a child and you left some things unresolved. I left the rejection of my childhood unresolved. I thought I resolved it, but I really didn't. So I walked around with my rock of rejection, but then I used control and anger to combat it. And all those things hardened my heart. I had resentment, I had guilt, I had shame. For all the things that I knew weren't Christ-like. And it just piled into my heart that then went into my parenting and also went into my marriage. And that same hardness of heart affected my kids, my friends, my marriage. And so... At year 14, infidelity happened in our marriage, and many people shouldn't have been in that picture had we followed the counsel that we had biblical rights to divorce. And you do, by the way. It is biblical. But Jesus said there was a better way, and it was called love. It was called forgiveness. And it was called looking at the hardness Of my heart and that's why our mission statement is healing relationships one single heart at a time See, I discovered early on especially after infidelity that I thought what part did I play in this what did my heart do to put me in this scenario it's not about blaming each other looking at each other I only had the opportunity to look in the mirror how did I get here And what do I need to do to rewrite this story so I don't carry this pain and this hurt as we continue on down this path? And should we have decided to not follow the path of restoration, were we both going to leave with more hardness of heart from a broken relationship and divorce? I thank God that He showed us a better way and that looking at the hardness of heart caused us to create that family portrait. The people that wouldn't have been on that portrait would have been my daughter in law, who is the best thing that's ever happened to my son because we moved after the infidelity and they changed schools, and that's where he met her. I now have two grandchildren. I have a grandson who's one and she 's three. they wouldn't be there and if I showed you my grandma book, you too, even if you 're a grandparent, would just you would just admit that mine are the cutest. <laughs> you just You just would you know <laughs> But moving on, the other person that wouldn't be there is my eleven year old Mia because we adopted her after moving and um, We were helping with downtown people at the time, and a single mom had her, and she was about to be taken away. I didn't know that. I just offered to help a single mom for a couple weeks while she went through postpartum. That's what I heard. Now, you know what? That's what God had me hear. Instead, what she really had was post-traumatic disorder. And they were about to take the child away. I didn't know that. I was just being a friend where there was no friend. And there was nobody to take the child. And she was being given up to foster care. I said, no, don't let her go into foster care. Let me help out. And so we took this child that we thought was for two weeks. She's 11 years old. We adopted her. She wouldn't be there. Because again, if we'd made the decision to not reveal, rewrite, and renew our marriage. That portrait wouldn't look like that. There's one more portrait that I don't show that was taken on December 25th, 2013, Christmas Day. And that is the portrait where we're all there, every single person on that picture is there, sitting on a bed, as my husband took his last breath and went home to be to heaven. They told him in 2009 in December that he only had about four months to live as they found stage four melanoma cancer, and there was nothing they could do. And he looked at me, and he goes, Honey, I'm not going to die in four months. He said, I'm not going to die until I know that our legacy will carry on, that the vision, the mission to heal the brokenhearted will carry on. And at that time, we didn't have any trainers. It was just him and I. And he said, I've got a job to do. And he started making his bucket list, which I thought was going to include golfing and going across the country in an RV, which he'd always dreamt of. And I always wanted to get dropped off at the Hilton. (laughs) He wanted the RV. (laughs) Not much of a camper. He grew up on a farm in a river where they fished and killed a cow for their food. And I was a city girl. I thought, you know, I'll be a good wife and I'll help him live his dream if truly, what if the doctors are right? Instead, he made up his bucket list of that book, you know, that we keep fighting over and that book we can't seem to finish. I want to finish that. Six weeks before he died, we published the book of love, sex, and money. Figured those three subjects usually break down what could be potentially great relationships. So we finished the book and we co-authored it with our friends that were the experts on money because we definitely didn't have a voice on money. We screwed up in every way we could on money. So we thought we shouldn't be using that part. But yet we also know that 80% of relationships fall apart because of it. So six weeks before he passed away, we got that done. And then he said, I want our teaching in case you decide to lay the baton down. That our teaching goes on through our trainers and they still have our voices on there. And we got those done and there's eight teachings on there. Six on relationships and the R3 and two on, on money. And I have a forgiveness CD that's really a meditation. Because I believe the true center of what we do today when it comes to renewing lies in the secret of forgiveness compassion, forgiveness through compassion. And so we coined a t-shirt that said, forgive is the new F word. We had a lady walking around here that bought it on the weekend. She goes, I'm walking around. She goes, you wouldn't believe the questions I get asked about that. So that's the product. I'll be at the back later. You can come and see me there. But today I want to talk about what is it? You know, we talked all weekend about the reveal, rewrite, and renew. And really reveal is about what's in our heart. What is that hardness of our heart that Jesus was talking about that would save us from divorce? What is that part of us that if it wasn't hard, if we didn't let offense take root, if we didn't let our toxic thoughts take root and and rule our daily life, our thought life, what would it look like But first, let's reveal what those hardened hardened rocks in our heart, one little rock at a time of control and rejection and anger and all those things that affect our relationship. There's that reveal part of that. But can you rewrite it? You can't change history, but you can definitely rewrite it. We rewrote it when infidelity came in by looking at ourselves in the mirror and say, what part did we play in this? where we, did we let our deceiving heart get in the way? And one of the things that I believe today, and it's worthy of, of reading this article that I just found a little bit ago, it's actually an epidemic. Because I believe that we have The answer to what's going on in our relationships. I believe we have the answer to what I call the rocks that harden our heart. But what is it that today plagues our world more than anything else? Let me read you this article. We live in a community-starved world. Psychiatrist Jean Rosenbaum estimates that loneliness is America's greatest killer of those who die between the, I found this interesting, between the ages of 2 and 37. And that's 94%, and that 94% of the people suffer from chronic alienation. Mother Teresa said that the worst disease in today's world is not leprosy or cancer. It is the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, or being deserted and alone. Toffler coined the phrase, the plague of loneliness. Also, we are told that there are today 50 hotspots of ethnic conflict around the world. The church can have no greater impact than today by modeling true community as God intended. Ralph Osborne, Executive Director of Faith at Work, says, The search for community is our culture's deepest longing and the Christian faith's greatest promise. No doubt Jesus had this in mind when he spoke to the church as a city set on a hill. He said that people would know who we are by the love we have one for another. If you love each other, everyone will know that you are my disciples. That means... Like cancer has some drugs that can stop it or put it in remission or sometimes even totally get rid of it. Like there is, for heart disease, a medical plan that might include pills and change of diet, but you can heal from it. I look at us and I think, how many marriages I see that suffer loneliness? How many kids live in a house full And yet are alone in their own thoughts. There are more children committing suicide today than ever before. Could it be because of loneliness? Could it be because of withdrawal? Could it be because of isolation? I ask you that question. But what if I told you that as Christians and Christ followers, we have the drug to heal it? I used to call Jesus my drug a choice. Because he was the one that never left. He was the one that comforted. He was the one that was the rock I could lean on. And I remember being 16 and telling my friends when they used to look at me, because what do you get out of going to church? And I remember, and, and how can you believe that? And I hung out with a lot of non-Christian friends because my Christian friends weren't fun. Non-Christian friends went dancing. We didn't get drunk. We didn't do drugs. We just loved to dance and we loved to have fun and we loved to laugh. That's what we did Friday nights. My Christian friends went to Bible study and it wasn't fun. You were told how you were going to go to hell and how many ways you could get there. That wasn't fun. And I wanted some fun at 16, so I'd tell my parents I was going to Bible study so that I would learn how not to go to hell. And instead, I was hanging out in the places that they were telling me I was going to go to hell for, um, which was just dance halls. <laughs> and uh, we would dance, but then, you know, they'd end up like, how, you know, how, how do you believe? It? I said, you know what, here's the thing. He what if my story is a total hoax? You know, what if there is no heaven and hell? And what if there is no Jesus? But I live the life I want to. I said, you know, when I cry, I actually talk to him. I pray. And he makes me feel better. And I started sharing like that. And I said, you know, if I'm right, if I'm wrong, I'm not playing no risk. So those hell Bible studies did me good. I said, there's no risk to me. I still live the life I wanted to live because I don't want to do drugs. I don't want to do, you know, that lifestyle. And I'm living a good life. I said, you know, I come out dancing with you guys because the church hasn't caught on to that yet. Now we have church dances, and we're not even Catholic. Um, (laughs) But um, that wasn't the case back then, not in the church I grew up in. And so when you think about it, What I was saying is if I was wrong and nothing happened after you died, well, great. I lived a great life. I had somebody to lean on. I said, but what if you're wrong? That's a big price to pay if you're wrong. If I'm wrong, I've lost nothing. I've just led a good life, the life I want to live, and I've got a friend. So what if he's a make-believe friend? He's a friend. Do you have one? That was my take on that. Because I found him from the time I was a child to be a comforter. Not someone to be feared. I found he was healing. I found that when no one else was there, he was there. Now, I didn't speak this in the previous service, so I don't know who needed to hear that. But he's there. When you feel alone, when you feel like you've been abandoned, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never go away. So much so that I can share with you today that there's a mindset that's supposed to be there in our relationships. And so if you look at, um, if you have your Bibles of Night, he's going to put it up there in Second Philippians verse 5. It says this. It says, in your relationships with one another, have this mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk to every married man in this group. Pastor, you are not allowed to answer. In the first service, he rescued you all, and he answered, do not. Just, all right. So, please, don't make him feel like he needs to rescue you. If we were talking strictly on marriage and a godly marriage this morning, and I were to ask the married men in this room to fill in the blanks, all right? The very popular message on marriage is women blank. What's the word? So, did a woman say that? Men, what's the word? See how, they, see how they're saying, it? thank you. Thank you for having a voice. Submit to your husbands. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. Please don't answer this. If you actually did it, we don't want to know. But imagine even before you got married, you're going on a date. And you're, I mean, you're trying to reel her in, okay? You guys have all the moves before you get married. Young men, please keep some of these moves after you get married. Because we appreciate them before and we never stop appreciating them. But imagine you've got this special date. Maybe it's even the day you're going to ask her to marry you. You know, so it's got to be over the top, right? And maybe you planned a candlelight dinner and just... Everything you know because you figured out exactly what she likes to eat, what kind of dessert she likes, the very flower. Like, if I were to ask you, do you know what her favorite flowers are now? You probably have forgotten. But back then, you probably knew. So you had that flower set there. And I mean, it was going to be the evening of the evening. But with you, you brought along your little notebook that you got notes in and your Bible. You're going to show her what a spiritual man you are, and you turn to Ephesians where it talks about men submitting to their, or sorry, wives submitting to their (laughs) husbands. Was that a Freudian slip? (laughs) Um, Wives submitting to your husband say, okay, honey, like, um, you know, before we actually, you know, till death do us part thing, I just have a little rule book here. There's not very many rules in here, but you know, I'm, just, I'm just wondering if we could talk about it and just come into agreement with it. And you pull it out and you, you open your Bible and she's getting excited and she's thinking about it. And then you pull out, like, will you agree to submit to me for the rest of your life? That's your introduction to, will you marry me? Did anybody do that? Because if you did, you shouldn't admit it. Somehow, I don't think that happened. But yet, the very first time you decide to have it all out and there's a fight, or something you don't agree on, has anybody ever used that scripture and say, you know what the Bible says about marriage? Marriage. Do you know what it says about women? They should submit to their husbands. do, Do you know that I'm supposed to be the head of the home? You're showing me absolutely no respect. Those sound like fighting words to me, not loving words from the scripture, right? Usually that scripture has been used in anger, in resentment, in attack, in hardness, in blame. All those things that are so much the mindset of Christ. Right? That's how Christ thinks. But yet we take that scripture to pe- beat people up. But you see the woman got smart. She actually read past that. So now she rebuttals. She comes out fighting. You would love me like Jesus loved the church. And maybe I could submit to you. Now we've got a real win-win don't we? doesn't work because you see submitting means that we first have to figure out in all our relationships what the mindset of Christ is because we seem to think that as Christ died for the church which also is what the scripture says you're submitting and you're loving as Christ did the church We talk about dying, and you probably would die for your wife and your kids. My question is, are you living for them? And how did Jesus live for us? And so now, um, in the previous service, and and the pastor told me there was only one area I was theologically off. um, But he forgave me for it. But if I'm theologically off, it's their responsibility to fix it when I leave right? So that you guys are all on the straight and narrow. But prior to ever speaking to marriages and to individuals about their broken heart, I actually spoke to children. And so I started out in children's ministry. I was a traveling evangelist for children. I spoke at children's camps. That's where I met my husband and um, was at a children's youth camp. And, um, and I'm also a ventriloquist. And that's how I did the road. Me, my yellow Honda and my dummy. And we just went all over the place and had a great time. And we taught, I taught children the love of Jesus, not the fear of hell. But I taught them how, you know, he was there and he came from heaven to earth because he loved us that much. But prior to that happening, I want to tell you a story, and that's why I asked the pastors for permission to fix whatever I say wrong here, because in my mind, because I worked with children for so long, I had to make children understand through storytelling. So Pastor Carlos said that I should actually introduce this as, this is based on a true story. There may be some fictional things added to the story, but it's based on a true story. You guys good now? Have I covered all the, yes? Okay. I, I, you know, this commercial is, you're not responsible for this commercial. Yeah. Well, so in my mind, I'm seeing heaven because it talks about in the beginning, we, right? So we know that we, God being the Godhead, there's a God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And so I see God the Father one morning and, you know, he's looking out at the heavens and the angels and, you know, all that heaven is made up of. And and he says, you know, just looking down there, he says, Jesus, he says, can you get a hold of the Holy Spirit? He says, I want to have a family night tonight. I think we need to talk. So he says, Okay. He goes, let's meet in the theater room. Jesus says, all right. I said, should I, you know, Jesus asked, should I ask the Holy Spirit to bring the popcorn or something? Like, you know, is is it going to be a fun night? He goes, yeah, I think it's going to be a revealing night. So they get together, and the Father starts, and see, long before we had electronics, I've got a feeling heaven beat us on it. Heaven could show a true picture movie. All of it from beginning to end. And so he says, watch. I want to show you what we're going to do. He says, I'd like to, that blob down there, it's all dark. I'd like to put some sky there and I don't even have the order right. But anyways, you know, creation, right? Everything came together and some light and some dark and some stars and the moon and the sun. And, and they made day and night. And this is all going on in a movie now. This is not happening. Creation hasn't started yet. They're, they're having a family meeting about it. And uh, he starts, you know, the fish in the sea and all the rest of it. And, and then um, he says, what do you think? Well, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are looking and goes, wow, it's amazing. We can, we can do all that out of that. Lob of nothing? Father says we can do this. Because but you know, I was thinking about something else too. I was thinking maybe creating the angels. uh, Sorry, uh, men in our image, not like the angels, but in our image. And giving them the choice. We'll create him for our pleasure, but we don't want robots. We want to give him the choice to serve, love, and worship us. Goes, oh, sounds good. So he shows him Adam on the big screen, and you know he says, "Wow, it looks good. Yeah, it really looks like us. You know, it has our character." And Dad, I'm impressed. And the Holy Spirit says, for some reason, I don't think the story ends here. You know, the Holy Spirit's always kind of trying to convict us of stuff, you know, and trying to be there. And, and, and he's being a little bit more cautious because all of a sudden he hears God the Father say, and by the way, it's the only time in creation that God the Father said, it is not good. He was talking about you guys, you know, men. <laughs> Did you know that? It's the only time, every time he put a star up, it's good. Everything was good. Then man got completed and all of a sudden there's a stop. This is not good. And that's when woman came in. And then there was a smile. See, that's what he needs. Jesus looks at all that and it's still looking good. But then the next scene goes to, you know, the... Fruit tree. That's how he was going to give him power of decision. Jesus well, how, how's that going to work? And God says, son, this is where you come in. See, right now you are equal with me. You are God with me way up here. Up in heaven, top of the ladder. He's at the top of the ladder. And he says, you're the king of kings. You're the prince of peace why am I going down the ladder? Because if he had just said, leave the Godhead and go be king, that's what they were expecting in the Messiah to come and be king and overthrow the empire that was hurting them. Because, but you're not going to be king on earth. Because you're the prince of peace, but there's going to be fighting and war, and rumors, and they're going to be fighting over your teaching. The very men that are supposed to be following God's law are going to come against you. Then he says you're going to be a rabbi to the rabbis, but they're not going to respect you. Not the ones that should. It keeps going. As a matter of fact, the next verse says, Ephesians 6, it says, Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So in other words, he couldn't use his status of being God, of being king, of being prince, of being rabbi. He could not use his own status To his advantage, he had to become human. But he couldn't be a human king. He couldn't even be a human prince. And then God said, Let's go to the next scene. Because of the human race, you must become a servant, a slave. And if that wasn't enough, then he said, you have to go die for them. They will crucify you, but you will give up your life. That wasn't the last scene because at that point, maybe from my childlike mind, I'm thinking, why would you sign up for that? And I'm going to ask you married folks, why do you sign up for marriage? I travel a lot. And if somebody ever said to me, there's a 50% chance that, that plane's going down, I'd hand in my boarding pass and say, uh, no, not today. Yet every time you walk down the aisle, there's at least a 50% chance that you're not going to stay married till death do you part. As a matter of fact, if you live in Orange County, there's a 72% chance for first marriages, according to your OC registry. So something's wrong. Could it be the hardness of heart? Could it be because we don't want to leave our status? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't deserve those words. No, you don't. But does that mean that you get to walk away? Or do you look at the very last thing God showed him? You're going to die. But you're going to endure it all. Because of the joy that was set before you. Are you going to endure everything I just showed you. Because of the joy that was set before you. Then is it worth it? What if I told you that if you get rid of the hardness of heart. The joy that you would find in marriage. See from year 14 I say that infidelity in my marriage is the best thing that ever happened to us. Because I did not know. I did not know, I could have never dreamed that the next 18 years of my marriage could have been what they were. I couldn't have dreamed that I could wake up next to a man and love him more than I did the day before. That even fighting, he used to say, and I, and I wear his bracelet because he coined, I get to. Even when I would feel like fighting goes, I just got to fight. I have my friend Denise here and she saw one of the worst fights. I'm Italian, I yell. I get passionate. So she walks in one morning. She comes from a very quiet home, and she'd never seen this. And she walks in, and I'm screaming and yelling, and she can hear it in the bedroom. So she thinks she needs to leave, and then my husband comes out of the bedroom and goes, Denise, where are you going? Because goes, I-, I think I should come back later. She was leaving. He goes, why? What's the matter? Oh, it sounded like you guys really got into it. And he goes, We did? And he goes, well, I, Tina, like, she was, oh, that. because we get to fight like that. She gets to just, you know. But see, our fights never lasted more than five minutes. The makeup lasted a lot longer. Because what we did, and I was the type of person that we resolve now. That was part of our reveal, review, and rewrite. That's how we knew. If our fights last longer than five minutes, that means it was old stuff. Whatever I was arguing about that morning that Denise walked in on was something I was arguing about right then and there. By the time he left the bedroom, it was done. It was resolved. She thought, man, she better not come back for a few days. Because that's what it sounded like. Now I don't advise that everybody fight like that. That was just our dance. He goes, honey, just let it out. We get to do this and we're fine. But we learn not to stuff anymore. For some of you, it may be just taking some time out. It may be sitting down. But if your fights or your arguments or your resentments or your hardness of heart is there for more than five minutes, it means you didn't resolve yesterday. That's what it means. And so what is the mindset of Christ, I ask you? Because when he saw the joy, he said, yes. That's what he said. He said yes. So on your notes, I want you to fill it out if you've got your notes in front of you. Just so you can take this home and see what the ladder of great relationships are. How do you come to a place where you know you've got the mindset of Christ in your relationships? Well, the first one is to start. You might start at the top knowing you have the right or you have the status. But you have to be willing to leave your status behind. You also have to take on serving. Serving each other. Serving each other in relationships. And whatever that looks like for you. Ron and I had a little game going on. How we were going to outdo each other in kindness. He knew what I loved that would translate into kindness for me. I knew what he loved that would translate into kindness for him. That might have meant I didn't hit the white ball anymore. But he loved when I would just go around the course with him and sit in that cart. I'd bring a book. I'd look at the white ball. Good shot, babe. (laughs) But it meant the world to him. Did that take a lot? No, but that was serving him. Scratching his back. I'm not a touchy touchy person. You know, like, you got the five love languages. Touch is not mine. And guess who I married? A touchy, touchy person. That was his love language. I would never think of scratching his back. And yet, to him, that meant the world to him. So we developed a little game. You take off your t-shirt when we're watching TV and you put your head on my lap and that triggers something in my brain that says scratches back. Then you don't have to ask for it. Because his thing was, if I have to ask for something, then I don't need it. I don't want it. I thought, well, that's attitude. (laughs) Right? Help me out here. So there's all kinds of things you can do. But the last is this. You endure resolving the hardness of your heart because of the joy that was set before you. Jesus was willing to endure the cross and forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing because of the joy. If I could tell you the joy we experienced and the laughter and the fun and the things we did that my kids still crack up about, all of them, Remember when mom and dad did this? Remember when we went there? We stopped doing Christmas to create memories because Christmas became stressful. Christmas became about buying everybody in the family, which in my family was about 40 people, a gift. Everybody had to have a gift. And when the kids were about in their teen years, we said, let's stop this. Let's stop it. Let's take all the money we spend at Christmas and the money that our mom and dad gave us, because my mom and dad gave us money for Christmas, I said, let's put all that in a pool and let's do family vacations. And for 18 years, that's what we did. You could find us on a cruise. You could find us somewhere in Mexico. We created memories. If I showed you the video of my husband's memorial, you would think we were on a permanent life vacation. No, it was just moments that we took out of life two weeks out of every year at least. Then weekends, then some days They were spent creating memories, intentional, intentional. So the joy that you can create, and I want to just end with, there's no clock back here, but I'm presuming I'm ending right now. Yes, this is my closing. I want to ask you, so what is the mindset of Christ? So I looked at what Jesus did while he was here because he was our example. For one, he healed the sick. I just told you when I started my message, the greatest sickness in this world today is is loneliness. Can you be a healer of the sick? Do you know a lonely person right in your house? Right in your neighborhood? That was the first thing he did. He fed the hungry. What are we hungry for today besides food? What are our relationships hungry for? Can you do that? Because that's his mindset. He ate and he drank with the rejects or the unwanted of the world, those that Mother Teresa was talking about. Is there somebody in your circle, in your Jerusalem? That was his mindset. He stood up for the woman caught in adultery are you pointing the finger at people that don't live the life or do you stand up for them and bring a man gave the woman at the well a testimony what's your testimony of what he's done for you are you a testimony as a marriage are you a testimony to your neighbor as a family wow i want what they got I want whatever they're drinking, whatever drugs they're taking, I want it. Are you that testimony? Is your story rewritten enough that people want what you want? Because that would heal loneliness, and that's Christ's mindset. He forgave sin. How forgiving are you of people's wrongs? And lastly, I want to give you two things he asked us to live by. Real simple. He said, put God first and love people. If you put God first and you love your wife, if you put God first and you love your husband, would your relationship look like it does today? Would your friendships look like they do today? I'm going to challenge you to go out this week and be an answer to the loneliness in your own home first, which is your Jerusalem, and then look out into Samaria. And then into all the world, because that's how we preach the gospel. But many of us need to heal from that broken heart. And so, I'm going to ask you guys to just close your eyes for a second and listen to the words of the, listen to this song as Pastor Larry comes up. Go ahead and play "Heal Me," and begin the healing with you first. And look at the hardness of your heart, and where God touches you and reveals to you what you can do today to become that healing. And I'll be at the back.